Hello and welcome to the podcast. We have a very special guest today. Ishani Roy is an established mathematician, got a doctorate from Brown University and did her postdoc at Oxford. But for the last 5 years, Ishani through her startup Serene has been using data to preach the gospel of diversity and inclusion at the Indian workplace. We had a wide-ranging talk from all the ways computational mathematics is applied to solve different problems to what organizations and citizens like us can do to foster a more inclusive society i hope you enjoy my chat with ishani ishani welcome to the podcast uh, thank you asha so you are a bit of an overachiever academically <laughs> yeah uh, tell us a little bit about your academic background Okay um so i studied mathematics uh, applied mathematics actually but uh, why i'll just go back it's not like i was very good at studies when i was in school i was actually in a school very open environment kind of like uh, so basically uh, we were kind of we used to learn a lot of things with hand doing experiments and was things it like that it was a montessori method full montessori this method this was in calcutta was in calcutta it didn't have any exams until we were in 8th standard wow. and it was a completely open environment so we all used to study because whatever we liked to study mm-hmm. so mathematics came kind of naturally for us and what do you mean by how does math come naturally to someone so basically it wasn't like it was forced on us mm-hmm. we could pick what we wanted to do mm-hmm. and i did that i actually picked mathematics and sanskrit because it used to take least amount of time <laughs> to do <laughs> than yeah. to actually write essays and things like that okay. uh, but uh, it really kind of one of the things it had taught me that kind of education was you can use mathematics to sort of understand other problems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so when i actually went into study um, applied mathematics the fun part of it was applying that mathematical understanding to some problem mm-hmm. so, so where where did you go to college i went to college in university of colorado in boulder mm-hmm. and i had a minor in physics so the, we used to work with the stanford linear accelerator center to sort of understand the basically the micro the particles mm-hmm. and how they break and things the like that the mathematics of the particles mathematics of the particles okay so that was the first even though i didn't quite understand the physics part of it this so much this was when you were an undergrad i was an undergrad mm-hmm. but at least could see that mathematics can be applied to something else sure. it's not like the theorems and equations are all in books and you mm-hmm. prove them mm-hmm. there is something that actually happening all around us that mm. there is mathematics in it okay and then after boulder after boulder i did a masters from university of massachusetts mm-hmm. and there i was able to work in los alamos mm-hmm. for two years uh, two summers actually los alamos is in uh, new mexico new mexico okay. yes so they have the nuclear uh, wing obviously mm-hmm. but they also have a lot of research that time they were doing on atmospheric research mm-hmm. so the tsunami had just happened in southeast asia right. so there was a lot of data that they had collected on looking at what are the different sort of parameters that go into forming a a, a wave which doesn't crash down until hit 
becomes a wall mm. so what is the thing that kind of causes a tsunami to happen mm-hmm. as opposed to waves that disintegrate? i guess the earthquake causes it to happen but you're saying mm. why certain waves do not fail by themselves before they get absolutely to, mm. why doesn't it dissipate why does it stand as a wall mm-hmm. so, so this is fluid a, dynamics so this is fluid dynamics but uh, there is a particular type of physics in it like there is only certain conditions that these kind of tsunamis can happen hmm. and it's very like low probability that hmm. it can happen but they were looking into that what okay. are these conditions that tsunamis can actually affect and you were trying to model this mathematically yes model this mathematically what would be the equations mm-hmm. that would describe the formation of a tidal wave yes okay mm. uh, and then you got a phd subsequently subsequently went to brown got a phd there also once applied again math. applied math but once again the application changed completely <laughs> okay so there the application was in astrophysics okay. and this was a very interesting sort of problem where uh, there was a lot of data that they were collecting in china mm-hmm. an observatory in china radiation data mm-hmm. so what that was was uh, that you know at this time we are observing this kind of radiation Mm-hmm. but where did it actually come from mm-hmm. and it's not like this radiation has come from uh, something that has happened in near past Correct. but a long time ago yeah. so it was basically after the first stars or the first universe that was formed so this is billions of years mi- millions of years ago yes mm-hmm. absolutely so they were trying to sort of model what are those uh, sort of tra- types of universe which are the first stars which are the second stars which are the next stars that mm. we talk about they're trying to predict that they were trying to predict that and how did they actually collide with each other mm-hmm. to give this radiation millions of years later several types of universes this is obviously going way above my head but that's fine you know yeah so there is actually like from this million years to this million years there is only these kind of stars which prevailed I after see. that they disintegrated then they reformed so there are these I several see. so you're trying to create that timeline time of line. our universe yes a timeline of universe um the, what what sort of mathematics is used for things is it purely theoretical equation based uh, or what two types so one is theoretical equation based what would be simple uh, boltzmann equation type of thing mm-hmm. so which is just uh, how do things travel and how do they interact so if there are two stars traveling and they're colliding each other mm-hmm. how are they scattering sure. so it's just a how does matter interact with each how other how does matter interact so sure. it is just simple partial differential equations but the right hand side would incorporate a lot of the noise mm-hmm. the lot of the scattering the lot of the radiation equation observed values you mean observed okay. values okay and then you work backwards okay and what else can you uh, are there other techniques computational techniques yes and the next part is computational techniques so depending on the right hand side which is very very uh, a complex set of equations mm-hmm. uh, because there are so many parameters that have gone into it right. then you use higher order methods or uh, very uh, sort of higher order algorithms to compute those equations so there is a part of the coding also which is involved mm-hmm. which uh, so this is a numerical method it's a numerical method mm-hmm. yes absolutely and uh, after brown after brown uh, i did my phd in oxford mm-hmm. and it was the con- did you get your phd sorry, in postdoc, postdoc in oxford, in oxford. Okay. phd was in brown uh, the postdoc once again at the funniest part was i bet you the application changed again application changed again Got the it. math stayed same <laughs> yeah. it was the similar kind of uh, equations uh-huh. but now it was in the human heart so okay. we used to work with this very interesting project is throughout europe it's called the human physiome project so uh, we model every single part of the 
human body mm-hmm. and the heart was very interesting so basically it was about people who have suffered a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. and they need a pacemaker now one thing about the pacemakers is that pacemakers are quite uh, expensive things sure. and sometimes in elderly patients or in children they don't often work mm. so can you have a mathematical model customized to the patient so use the mri data for that particular patient mm-hmm. build a customized human heart mm-hmm. and see what kind of blood circulation will happen mm-hmm. and whether this putting in the pacemaker which is basically a set of electrodes which are just pump making the heart pump yeah, it creates an impulse it's an impulse mm-hmm. which is making the heart pump either slower or faster mostly faster, faster yeah. and uh, to see whether you you will get the same whether the patient is an ideal candidate to get a pacemaker yes it, whether it will work or not whether the ejection fraction will actually go up or I not i see yeah. so when i was uh, in grad school uh, we used numerical methods yes. and finite element analysis and such yes, because yes. i was a structural engineer and my understanding at that point was that it was mostly used in engineering Yes, numerical methods you know that's not true anymore it's finding applications in a all these a lot of applications now in especially in health uh, any kind of biological mm-hmm. biomath is kind of picking up it would make sense because these are extremely non-linear systems exactly so good approximations can come out of numerical methods exactly absolutely yeah okay. uh, then you came to india after england yes or? i came to india i was looking at academia but uh, I went into industrial research. Mm-hmm. I was You're in a the, scientist. Yes, in mm-hmm. the aerospace lab in GE research. Okay. Yes. And this is also modeling fluid flow and such. Fluid stuff. flow once again. Yes. Okay. Uh, jet engines. Okay. This was about 7 or 8 years back or how when when this were you working was, in GE? I was in GE uh, 5 years back. 5 years back. Yeah. And then you decided to completely pivot. Yes, <laughs> yeah? completely. Uh, got tired of applied math, or uh, what happened? Uh, no, actually, I still love applied math. But uh, what happened was a little bit. I think everyone has a personal story for entrepreneurship. Uh, so what happened was started noticing how skewed the gender ratio was in science in India, mm-hmm. especially when I was uh, working with academia. I mean. in mathematics or physics the numbers are just so low and it's not like female, women, participation. female participation in science and uh, it's not like that women are not studying hard not. sciences but somehow we are not staying in the field and mm-hmm. not continuing along mm-hmm. even if you see in industrial research people start out being a scientist but then either they drop out or they take a managerial route they don't stay as a scientist as they go mm-hmm. go along mm-hmm. so that is one of the things that was bothering me for a while and started seeing my friends also drop out quite a bit mm-hmm. and uh, uh, wanted to kind of look at it what was really happening mm-hmm. there were a lot of uh, solutions people were doing one off workshops for managers but these were not really uh, these are not these are just one off solutions not They addressing the sustainable yes. causes of it's yeah. not addressing the causes not even looking into the causes why yeah. are people leaving so, yeah may, they may be good intention yes. but yeah like yeah like you said they are good intention but they were did not have a long term impact on sure. them So then what did you decide to do? So then decided to look into yes basically how to get more women back into the workplace mm-hmm. especially professional women in STEM. Okay. About that too Science, is starting. Science technology engineering and math. Yes mm-hmm. that is STEM and that was the idea mm-hmm. but then we sort of evolved a little bit. So what did you want to do though? I mean what was your initial. strategy for making a difference? 
Yes, the initial strategy was actually very different from what we do now. Uh, what we were thinking of more of a mentorship platform. So there are all these amazing qualified people in India, uh, but why not create a platform, online platform for them to help each other out. Mm -hmm. So if a person has taken a three or four years break and they want to go back to the workplace, mm -hmm. is there someone else out there who can mentor them, even smallest question can be answered as mm -hmm. to what how should they negotiate mm -hmm. what are the kind of skill upskilling they can do before mm -hmm. they you wanted to create that platform create that platform social media based or uh, independent yes, standalone both it mm -hmm. idea was both but mm -hmm. that is that was the idea in okay. the initially and then how did your work evolve and what did you find out about yeah. the low participation rate? low participation so one thing that we uh, started finding out is that this is a one part of the problem that people can be mentored or upskilled and they can come back to the workplace but uh, as we started looking into the data it was quite apparent that this is just a very small part of the problem one thing is that once you get them back also into the workplace you create a pipeline it's great but then people are not staying for mm -hmm. a long time there's a lot of attrition that is happening even for people who rejoin the workforce absolutely mm -hmm. even for people who rejoin there's a lot of attrition that happens in as they go up in the career ladder mm -hmm. and especially uh, if they are managerial or senior manager role there's a lot of dropout that happen for diverse candidates and pay disparity could be one of them, unconscious biases in the system can be one of them. Mm -hmm. That was one biggest learning. And secondly, what we learned is that organization plays a huge role in it, whether to mitigate those unconscious biases, whether to change the policies, whether to make it inclusive for all people, not just for women, but any diverse group of people. You're saying individual employees can't do it. The organization itself has to decide. Yes. That. Part of it is individual employee. It is aspirational to the up to certain extent, mm -hmm. but the organization plays a huge role. Mm -hmm. There's also a societal aspect of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. The, gender roles the that, patriarchy of yeah, a society must be the playing. Patriarchy, uh, the patriarchy. Uh, oftentimes caring for elderly or caring for children, women are also forced normal. out of the workplace. And mm -hmm. that's not a, maybe not by choice, but they have to take a back seat. Mm -hmm. That is, there's little you can do about that. Correct. But little the organization can, can do, do about, about that. Okay. But there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot that the organization can, can do. do. Okay. Yes. Such as? Such as, say, for example, looking at policies. Uh, we say that we have, we are, we have, workplace friendly policy or work from home policies but are those actually enough mm -hmm. is that who are availing uh, of those policies are men also taking them equally mm -hmm. as women mm -hmm. because whenever there is a difference there's also a bias that forms against those group of people mm -hmm. that there are two types of people mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. organization it's that more never efficient helps. to give it to the guy because absolutely mm -hmm. you have to make it more equitable mm -hmm. to both um, and then in hiring itself, are there things that organization can do um, to foster diversity? Yes, very much. So if you look at diversity, so one of our biggest learning was diversity beyond gender. Mm -hmm. So we started seeing that playing out in the workplace so much. So for example, people who are coming from smaller towns or people who are speak a different language. It's a big language. problem in India actually. Yes. Yeah. If I speak a different language, if I don't speak English a in an urban way, way in mm -hmm. a particular way, there is a lot of bias against those and people are falling out in the 
right before in the recruitment stage itself during interviews mm. and uh, there's a lot of unconscious biases against people from different parts of the country different educational background different institutes mm-hmm. so we started looking at all of those religious things. and caste background i'm sure religious and caste it's not like organizations talk a lot about caste and religion but it plays out mm-hmm. for sure Mm-hmm. and uh, marginalized communities tend to be from certain demographics you know so if a person doesn't speak english in a refined way it's also likely that the person is from a disadvantaged caste absolutely. or from right absolutely so you're automatically losing out on the candidate and you're focusing on something which may not even be useful for the absolutely what you're hiring for yeah. Yeah. actually it could be quite counterproductive because yes. a lot of people who are polished and smooth are not useful for the organization exactly like and is it the skill you are looking at or are you looking at culture fit mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. sounds like a big problem <laughs> <laughs> right um within india in what is the female participation what percentage of india in is women uh so it's actually about 22 percent and that mm-hmm. includes the unorganized sector and unorganized sector is quite high in, in farming yes yeah. in factories in farming female labor force participation is much higher than the organized sector so in white collar jobs it's even less even less much less much less yes wow. there are certain industries which are doing well if you look at healthcare and finance mm-hmm. there is but once again even and though the numbers in finance as well in banking for example mm. they hire a so lot of women so this is the customer facing customer facing what once again if you look at those uh, Uh, where they are hired is always in the lower uh, rung so it's not like people are getting promoted as much so even though the number in healthcare and finance it's more than 30% female labor force participation mm-hmm. but it's not like the promotions are happening as much and leadership there is so mm-hmm. it's easy to categorize uh, men as being the problem but i think you don't agree with that i absolutely do not agree with that it is not a binary gender problem at all mm-hmm. i think if you look at it it is more of a problem of inclusion mm-hmm. or exclusion mm-hmm. i would say mm-hmm. so if you are able to make the organization more inclusive mm-hmm. then no matter who you are where which community you come from which religious background gender. you come from which gender whether it's male female or transgender Still employee right. they will stay with you I was reading an article you wrote yeah. which said that um, we need more male feminists in <laughs> India Inc right uh, it struck me because you you were saying that uh, women only groups um, that try to foster you know more women participation try to enable them to get back into the workforce and such are less effective than groups that work towards this that also has men yes explain that to us why do you think that yes good? so it's it's an observation that what we have seen uh there are i would say there are three kinds of people when you are talking about inclusion people like you and me who just get it inherently get it that i understand what it feels to be excluded so i will make it inclusive for another person right uh then there are people who absolutely do not buy into the idea mm-hmm. they would they think like, it's a bad idea then it's a bad it's just a good thing to do you're once again trying to make me put sub quota and mm-hmm. i don't like to hire for quota they don't believe in it mm-hmm. but there are certain people who are in the middle who are on the fence mm-hmm. who basically have heard a little bit about it but they never actually put in the effort to understand more the concept about it if you are able to concentrate on those people who are kind of on the fence uh you will see a lot of the undecided voter you will see people actually inherently want to do the right thing yeah. they're not often sure how to do it 
so if you uh, speak about a language of inclusion about a culture you talk about their backgrounds when as a child maybe in schools they have felt in- excluded excluded yes is a lot and of everybody chance. has by everybody the way everybody has whether it's for example their your physical appearance whether a person used to be a little plump in school and they were bullied was because of that was bad in math whatever you know yes mm-hmm. all of us have had some experience of being either bullied in school or made fun of in school mm-hmm. so if you are able to sort of identify yourself with that mm-hmm. uh, automatically someone like the light bulb i absolutely agree people most people want to do the right thing yes. and then their their fathers like me to girls yes. and their husbands and exactly. sons to mothers yes obviously they understand yes. the power of inclusion yeah questions you can't obviously talk all to all of them one on one maybe you can what are some of the effective campaigns that you can run at the company level or even at the society level yes um to get the message across and are there examples of successful campaigns that uh, in india or outside that's done this Yes that's a very very good question i often wonder about that because my uh, inherent nature of mathematics is like let's go fix the policies mm-hmm. if there is something we can do uh, often i don't uh, see the point of campaigns or activism as much but one of the things that have happened tremendously well is the me too movement correct right i mean whether there has been a backlash about the me too movement or not still it started the conversation it's backlash or no backlash yes. it is a conversation that us as a society had to have exactly had to have mm-hmm. and and there are people who are sitting up and rethinking mm-hmm. the way they would crack a joke or they would call someone and mm-hmm. a name mm-hmm. they're at least thinking before they're doing that right it's the me too movement is obvious when i listen to it yeah right um diversity and inclusion at the workplace is more nuanced is it more nuanced or is it straightforward depends how you think about it so uh i think for us it's as basic as the me too movement when you work on prevention of sexual harassment uh there is so much misunderstanding about it it's like it's just a joke hmm. boys are being boys hmm. we still hear those kind of things so it's the fact that the me too movement happened and the backlash has happened which shows how people were not ready for it hmm. it was just going along there was now the status quo is slightly changed and people are speaking up more hmm. so at least when a woman describes a situation it's not completely foreign to a person who's exactly. hearing it because the movement has happened yes very much uh, i went to graduate school in the us and uh, within stem at least as you know the female participation rate is very low over there as well yes um are the problems even worse in india you think compared to um, outside the if you look at the numbers the numbers are very very similar mm. in the west and in india mm. in the in us countries which are doing well are the scandinavian countries parts of europe what are they doing right i guess it's a cultural thing yes there are amazing papers on this it is a cultural thing the they start way early their mm. education system is very different the way mm. they think about their role models there are so many role models in politics in you know in schools everywhere women role models women role models i mean the uh, prime ministers there are so many um, actually women leaders in mm. those countries so they grow up thinking what happens way. in the educational cur- um, curriculum that drives home um, Yeah. yeah like a more egalitarian uh, or drives a more egalitarian outcome outcome uh, so uh, there are studies in india as well as in the us you will see that the whole concept of boys are better at science and the girls are better at other 
uh, soft skills for example it plays out in schools as well even teachers the way they evaluate for example is not often unbiased mm. uh, in our curriculum it's very very gendered if you look at the what children read in public schools in government schools the pictures that they see like the pilot the airline pilot the doctor the surgeon it's always a man when they read about scientists a never a woman scientist is actually in it hmm. so the aspiration level is also different from hmm. from childhood starts there actually starts there if you think re- remember that adarsh balak mm-hmm. there's always adarsh balak there's, there's no adarsh adarsh balika <laughs> That's crazy when yes, you think about it. When you think about it, so the curriculum is very different. And the US talking about the US, I, I think uh, was it a Harvard principal or somebody who got into trouble for saying that uh, yes, the dean of Harvard, right, yes, that boys are better at science or maths, yes, something yes. inane like that is yeah. what he said. He tried to justify it, uh, but no, you can always justify it based on the data that you have now. Yes, but then that's like saying that. the british are rich compared to the indians but that's because the brits took all the money away you know exactly the past you're forgetting the past absolutely yes. and everything right so education is the place to start you think education is the place to start society is the place to start the home is the, the place. home is the place to start right mm-hmm. uh, one of the discussions we have very often is that you know they are seeing mother and father working equally children but the moment mother goes into the kitchen right as soon as she enters home and the father is sitting and watching tv that's the image the child is inside their head when you look at advertisements for examples mo- what do you see it's very very gendered mm-hmm. all the doctors are all male mm-hmm. uh, whenever the dentist you will see all are male yeah the model who promotes uh, the toilet cleaning liquid or the toothpaste is always a woman always a woman Mm-hmm. So or talks about the child's health or take him to the doctor is always a woman. Always a mother. Yes. What is um, your company's name is Serene? Yes. Um what are you trying to do? Are you trying to do on organization by organization and uh, conduct workshops or what happens on a day-to-day basis at your company? That's an interesting question. So yes, it is a service plus uh, product model. Uh yes, we partner with organizations. There is aspect of Uh, one-on-one workshops, leadership uh, interventions. There is a lot. We do have an online platform as well, so it's a lot of online tools which are not only in English courses, uh, but they are in vernacular languages as mm. well. So people say, for example, the blue-collar workers. This is reading material, know, or these are video Videos. courses. Okay. Yes. So it's basically an LMS where people come and take a course, and then okay. yeah. And. Uh, you drive it for the companies yes we drive it for the companies but another part of it is also partnering with organizations to look at their data so that is something people are kind of opening up mm-hmm. so basically if you collect organizational data and how do you actually tune their interventions depending on those data so that they have a better outcome on diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. and organizations are open with their data uh startups are mm-hmm. startups are always open about the data so yes they are starting <laughs> to be <laughs> are they uh, among mncs for example are they companies who do diversity and inclusion better than others any uh, shining examples that the rest of the industry can follow in Yes there are c- quite a few companies who are doing excellent work so I'll take one example uh, article 377 was in place correct so since then there has been a lot of conversation since last year about lgbtq about lgbtq issues so there are a lot of companies who are making a 
great changes mm-hmm. so it's not about just uh, doing some panels or talks or joining it, pride it's all about your employees actually it's all about your employees so there are companies where they are seeing that even though uh, employees have not come out to their families mm-hmm. but they are identifying themselves from the lgbtq community mm-hmm. in the workplace because mm-hmm. they're feeling the trust and the inclusion there mm-hmm. uh, the biggest things that some of the companies like godrej and tata have done is that they have also identifying their health insurance mm-hmm. uh, partner as opposed to spouse so that's a huge thing that they have been mm-hmm. able to do so, so your girlfriend boyfriend can be a exactly, nominee on your a nominee as opposed to a married Heterosexual, heterosexual couples, couples also or also, also. Yes. yeah but it benefits same sex couples a lot more than yes exactly it benefits a lot and that is a big change that's a tangible change yeah uh, mostly because it makes a tangible difference in their day to day lives exactly. it's one less thing that they have to worry about worry about, about right. and it makes it official it makes it something that you don't have to hide mhm companies are moving on lgbtq rights faster than society in general you think absolutely i definitely agree with that even to hire a transgender employee people are really uh, doing a lot of work on that aspect mm. and if you go into a organization who has hired a transgender employee they will be so nicely awareness trainings have been done so nicely that you will actually feel that people are sort of rooting for this person people are mm. actually supporting this person mm-hmm. as opposed awareness to training for a um, transgender colleague involves what um sensitizing you to um what what does that involve i'm just curious i uh, see i used to always worry about, uh, wonder about that like how do you sensitize a person to be human right? it should come normally <laughs> naturally, naturally yeah. right but then what i realized is see uh, as a society we do not talk about these things Correct. how often do we even use the word sexuality we don't we think twice before using the word yeah. so people have a lot of questions in their mind mm. and they don't know how to ask that question mm. sometimes they ask something very explicit which mm. offends another person Correct. sometimes they keep it inside and make a joke and that also offends another person so why not clear all those doubts why not have this person actually say you know it's okay for you to ask me these questions about my gender or sexuality and identity but don't ask me personal questions about mm. my family or my partner mm. that offends me mm. so once you made people aware of there are nuances in mm. identity sexual identity for example once you make people aware they are also more open in conversation and mm-hmm. communication and then they'll take that message outside the workplace yes. absolutely which is where the compounding effect really It starts will happen right. yes and this can start very early on if you start in schools for example and children once children get used to it mm-hmm. they are just that there for life right yeah because they have a lot less biases in their heads yes. so they absorb these messages faster than we can so that's great that more companies are proactive about lgbtq employees uh, how come it hasn't translated to more women at the workplace i mean we only started talking about lgbtq rights in this country maybe 2 or 3 years back yes as a society mm. you know i'm sure there were activists and people working in the sphere very hard before that but as a society but we've been talking about uh, the woman making what is it 60 cents to a dollar that every yes. man makes for a long time yes right is it just a more intrinsically a harder problem to solve i you're absolutely correct it is intrinsically a more hard, harder problem to solve uh, the reason is actually we are fighting sort of a losing battle uh if you look at the trends the female labor force participation has actually gone, gone down, down yeah. in the last 10 or 20 years and a lot 
lot of that is not so much to do with the organization but more to do with society mm. so there are some papers by rohini pandey who is an economist in harvard she says that a lot to do with how unsafe it is considered by families when women go out to work it's not as simple as whether i will send my girl child to study in an iit mm-hmm. whether it's a safe place or not so a lot of people talk about why aren't there so f- why are there so few women in the iits in india mm-hmm. whereas uh, girls are actually consistently doing better in boards mm. uh, absolutely so, yeah so yeah. then how come they are not going into the yeah, iits in my or? nit class uh, is a funny statistic this is from 25 years back yeah um 9 out of 10 kids uh, top 10 kids in board exams from my school were women exactly girls girls and then i went to nit yeah and only 6 out of 40 students in my class were girls Girl. and i was in civil engineering that had the highest number of girls in the entire college okay Which and is that is 6 6 out oh of 40 mechanical <laughs> yes. of course had one had one yeah maybe computer science had a few more but everything else was like that exactly which is crazy because i just saw them do so well so in the entrance exams they were with me yes. right yes just doesn't translate so you think it has to do with the uh, family's concept of safety very much of it is as explicit as which nit was this trichy trichy okay trichy is still better but if you look at other nits surat kalan there is a absolute bias word families that we will not be sending the are they coming child. from the right place or no I mean, sometimes it is sometimes maybe there are but sometimes absolutely not i mean it's still mm-hmm. in the college environment it is how unsafe can it be but if you think about like this big chunk of this iit population where do they go for coaching mm. this rajasthan mm. right in kota mm. and how many women how many families would there. be sending their girl child there to study there's so much of the societal baggage that we are carrying that the numbers are dwindling mm-hmm. so men will only understand it if they are in that position themselves you know <laughs> or if their spouses are in that position <laughs> spouses, which uh, for an 18 year old kid is not possible not possible yes. yeah i've never thought of that actually that you have to go to entrance coaching in kota in my head it's always been yeah you need to go to kota my trouble has always been oh that's a difficult train ride or yes. you know i need to spend a lot of money to get there it has never been that i would be unsafe there yes and my parents never thought that either yeah. but i can yeah i can imagine a yes the parents yeah. were called that exactly uh women in the workplace i'm sure i know the answer to this but some people argue that um, women make conscious choices to uh, not continue at work or yeah. prioritize other things it's, yeah. it's not so much their husbands and families telling them that it's they deciding for themselves yes i'm sure that's maybe a smaller part of why the participation is low what do you think about that no that is definitely true i mean women do make conscious choices and it is once again it's a cyclic thing like the gender roles that you have to play often pull you out of the work pl- workplace as well because there are there is only so much finite amount you of time you have to or you choose to even if you choose to so if you think about this like there's only finite amount of time and you're taking care of a child you're taking care of an elderly person all the mental list that you have to make to organize a household at the same time you have a 8 or 9 hours job it takes a toll after a point so even if you choose to that is because of certain reasons you are choosing mm. to 
uh, step down. Uh, oftentimes it is a role model effect as well. Uh, certain if you don't see that many women in leadership sometimes when you face those hurdles it's very difficult to overcome them it's mm. very difficult to say that i will be the one who will overcome all these biases and then become the one leader in that company mm. because you're not seeing yourself in there mm. a lot to, even in sciences that happen if you're not seeing another woman mathematician how do you even aspire to become one was your uh, phd advisor was it a lady or uh, no it was a guy it was a guy it's very hard to come across professors in science and math who but he was somebody who explicitly uh, recognized that it is not easy for uh, women to ha- get tenure track jobs hmm. so he would prepare us mentally that you will be sending a lot more papers but lot more will get rejected really but you prepare yourself of course he's seen it that's why he he's seen it and he had seen it and said that you will have to work harder prepare yourself that you will be doing that for the rest of the <laughs> did he foster a lot mentor, mentor a lot yeah. a lot yes because this he had seen it happening in front of him so he was very open to just calling out that there is bias you will be facing it tell me what i can do about it Oh, so yeah. even from established journals you get the bias yes, yes very much should change your name and <laughs> yes. submit it as a uh, so uh, companies are doing that the blind cvs right they are blinding out the names of uh, people and their gender so to see if the because it biases the other side uh-huh. quite a bit it's a good experiment actually yes mm-hmm. race biases more than gender oh yeah yes so if you have an african african american sounding name then chances of getting Uh, an interview call is it's much lower, lower. Yes. Uh, i think it also um, it happens with landlords who are renting out property and such so even much. more so yes. right religion yeah just the name can set you back yes exactly uh, are companies doing it in india these blind uh, vetting processes that uh, some of them but uh, they are doing it on institutional biases so some companies have seen that there is an institution IIT yes exactly will get hired regardless will hire nonetheless but then they don't stay as long mm-hmm. so there is a higher attrition mm-hmm. so then they're sort of trying to mm-hmm. and attrition them. has real cost right you were saying that one of uh, one of the ways that you can tie it to outcomes you know let's say more women that are joining you are um, you know leaving before they reach a particular stage that has a real cost to a yes, company yes exactly mm-hmm. yes bringing replacements on board and yes absolutely so if you do make it more inclusive you will see at least higher retention rates yeah well on that note ishani <laughs> thanks a lot for your time it was great talking to you about all kinds of different things from the science of the expanding universe <laughs> to, <laughs> to lgbtq rights thanks a lot for your time thank you so much ashish I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more episodes of the Contemporary Indian podcast on most podcast channels. If you did enjoy it, please subscribe and spread the word. It'll help us get to people who like their news presented with context and nuance.